Welcome to the Big List Podcast, the podcast where we list the weird, the wonderful, the interesting, and sometimes the downright childish. We are your hosts, Lady and the Tramp. Mm. I'm definitely the tramp. (laughs) No, I'm not the lady. (laughs) (laughs) We are your hosts, Ames and Katie, and today we are talking about the slightly darker origins of fairy tales. Mm. When we think about fairy tales and the origins of them, what famous brother pair comes to mind for you? The Grimm brothers. I was going to say Grimm, but then I was like... You weren't. No, it's actually my name. Grimm, the Grimm bros. Yeah, you weren't. No, I actually (laughs) I was like, no, and I was trying to think of like people in fairy tales who are brothers yeah that's where i went okay sure sure we believe you okay i believe you (laughs) so jacob and wilhelm grimm uh were germanic academics in the early 19th century who really popularized fairy tales. They were inspired by a surge of romanticism in Germany at the turn of the century. They collected these stories by talking to people of all classes, from German peasants to aristocrats. Some believe the brothers added in religious and spiritual motives to the tales, as well as adding in elements reminiscent of sort of classical mythology and biblical stories. During their lifetimes, they published multiple editions of children's and household tales, with their stories changing quite considerably within and almost doubling in length. They were increasingly tailored for a young audience, with passages of violence and sexual nature being removed. So these stories actually Mm. started off quite violent and sexual in nature, and they were actually marketed towards adults. I do recall reading something like that. And then when they decided to remarket to children, they basically had to water everything down considerably and remove all of the explicit content. They had to Disney the fuck out of it. Yeah. They took these uh, stories when they originally compiled them all because, as I said, they went around, you know, the German countryside and they compiled all these stories that mm. they picked up in taverns and at restaurants yeah. and talking to aristocrats. And they took those stories and they took them to a publisher and the publisher laughed them out of the office, basically, Fair. and said, this is garbage. Mm. So they decided, okay, we'll, we'll make some of the stories longer. Mm-hmm. We'll take out... The, the sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Yeah. And we'll market it towards children. Yeah. So the first edition published in 1815 contained 86 fairy tales, but by the seventh edition published in 1857, they had amassed over 210 in their collection. However, the Grimm brothers were not the first to do this. Mm. They stole a good number of their stories from a gentleman named Charles Perrault. Have, ever heard of this guy? No. no? Charles Perrault. Yeah. Novelist. Also, yeah. Author. Charles Perrault. Envisionary. <laughs> Charles Perrault actually spent most of his life at the court of Versailles, um, serving Louis VIII under the finance minister Colbert. Um, so in 1695, Colbert and Perrault were removed from office. Now, we would think of that today as like, you know, 
there's been kind of some, some kind of shame. Mm. Um, they've been asked to leave office. Back then, they were probably beheaded. I don't know. I have to check the history record. Sure. Removed from office is probably not a gentle thing. <laughs> With the newfound spare time. Okay, so he did live. Yay! 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 <laughs> um, Perot began collecting and publishing traditional folklore tales designed for children, including the volume Tales and Stories of the Past with Morals. Doesn't that sound like fun? It sounds like so much fun. Like, I just want to sit down at nighttime <laughs> and read a book about morals. <laughs> so oral traditions, including the passing down of stories, were the main method of dissemination for much of medieval and early modern period. Each time the stories were told, they were smaller. Small details would change, meaning they were constantly evolving and constantly changing over centuries. Um, and depending on which region they were told in, those characters would change to suit mm. the region. Um, Perot penning these stories in ink was probably one of the first times they'd ever been written down and in a fixed form. Fairy tales have existed for centuries across yeah. many, many de- different um, cultures. But yeah. this is the first time in sort of modern, I'm using air quotes, yeah. modern history that they've been put to paper and they are somewhat of the versions we know today. Mm-hmm. However, cultural versions of the stories found in these volumes actually have a much darker origin. Number nine. So let's start with Hansel and Gretel. Do it. You won't. So we'll talk a little bit about the backstory just to refresh everyone's minds. We've got two siblings in medieval Germany. Mm-hmm. The family, so it's a mum, a dad, and the two kids, mm-hmm. Hans and Gret. Mm-hmm. The family starts to starve and the stepmother tells the husband, hey, we'd be better off if we just left the kids in the woods. We can just fend for ourselves. They can fend for themselves and happy days. Why is it always a stepmother? It's always the evil stepmother. It's always this evil... Like women being villainized again. <laughs> you do it to yourself. <laughs> so reluctantly, the husband goes, yeah, actually, not a bad idea. So Hansel and Gretel overhear this conversation between the stepmother and the husband. Hansel comes up with a plan. So he decides to leave stones to find his way back to the the mother, stepmother and the father. Why would you want to go back though? Like that's the ultimate rejection. I know. I guess they just didn't want to be left. They didn't know how they'd survive. So they were like, you know what? We'll leave these rocks and we'll track our way back. So it's exactly what they do. Desperado. (laughs) Exactly. So they make their way back. The stepmother and the uh, father, the husband, they have another conversation and they're like, look, we do have to get rid of these kids. We're starving. They can just fend for themselves, right? So they go ahead, do the same thing again. Hansel again, leaves the stones, finds his way back. Um, conversation happens again, same sort of story, except this next time Hansel uses uh, breadcrumbs and mm-hmm. unfortunately um, animals and birds and stuff in the forest come out, they eat those breadcrumbs and the path no longer exists. So the two siblings are starving to death. 
and they come across the house that's made out of cakes, treats, chocolates, lollies, candy, all that sort of stuff. My kind of place. Yeah. So they're like, okay, cool. We found a house. It's made out of shit. Let's eat it. Um, it's not made out of shit. It's made out of lollies. It's made out of good shit. <laughs> and so they start eating. So um, they commence eating and it's a trap. So a lady captures them. Um, puts them in cages, starts to feed them up, to fatten them up. And I think if you remember from the uh, fairy tale, the woman that captures them is actually a witch. Mm-hmm. And I think she's blind in the, the more modern version of the story. Right. So she's managed to capture... Two kids two chewing kids. on a house. She captures them. Put them in a cage. cages and fattens them up. And I think they're in um, separate cages. And I think the original story... Um, Hansel finds a bone and when she's checking the fatness level, he sticks the bone through the cage and she feels that and goes, okay, cool. He's not fat enough and keeps feeding them. Long story short, the kids escape. They make their way out. Um, They then battle with the lady. Uh, Gretel pushes her into an oven. Um, Then... (laughs) A duck helps them find their way back home. Wait, what? <laughs> I've a never duck. heard that version. A yeah, duck? A duck. So this is, this is the original version. So duck helps them find their way home. Once they get there, they realize the stepmother's actually died. Mm-hmm. And it's just the father. And the father's like, oh, my God, I'm so happy to see you. Yay. I was so happy to give you away a few weeks ago. But now I'm back. Happy you're back. Yay. And they live happily ever after. So the story is claimed to actually be a true story. Um, not sure how the duck plays into that. Or the house made out of candy. <laughs> but apparently it's based on some sort of true story. And the story comes from Germany back in 1875. And it's said to be inspired by the Great Famine of 1315 to 1317. And the idea behind the story is that during that Great Famine, people actually turned to cannibalism for their hunger and starving. Dude. So that this got real dark real really fast. Quick. Yeah. So, yeah, the story is based on the idea that when famine comes, people who are meant to care for you don't, and they're motivated by self-preservation, mm-hmm. which is exactly what happens in the story. So this particular famine was said to affect 30 million people and it killed off 25% of the population. Yikes. I can't even be hungry for 30 minutes, let alone three years. I know. Hectic, right? The famine was said to be so bad that apparently people extracted bodies that were dead from the ground in cemeteries and dug out the flesh of the skulls and ate it. That's how hungry they were. Okay, but, like, you're going to die. Don't eat dead bodies that have been rotting. Because even though it's food, you're going to get some kind of disease. And you're going to die. And, and you're going to die. Because there's no medicine, or, or if it is, it's, it's weird-ass medicine back at So that point, at that right? point, like if you're facing death from starvation or death from disease or illness. Take a pick. Like, death is imminent. Maybe drown yourself? Possibly, or hang yourself. Yep. <laughs> um, so the early version... Like, of- again, we're not trying to be insensitive here with... No. Like, but... Like, it, Either way you look at it, death people, is imminent. People have been complaining for two years straight about being in lockdown in COVID, okay? <laughs> we, we literally don't know struggle. No, absolutely not. So the early version of the story was actually called The Lost Children. 
And in an, a much earlier version, the witch was actually said to be the devil and the devil wanted to bleed the children. And it was the devil's wife who tried to help the children. And then the children apparently slit the devil's wife's throat, steal the devil's money and run off. Wow. So that's the true origin behind Hansel and Gretel. So whether you look at it and it's based on the famine or whether you look at the very original version that was centered around the devil wanting children to bleed, the children slitting throats, it's a grim story. Get it? Yeah. <laughs> I know. Get it? I meant Get more it. so I meant more so just grim in general. Like it's 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 not great. It's bleak. That's bleak. Number eight. Cinderella. Yay! Yeah. Uh, but I didn't really know about the original version when I fell in love with the story. I fell in love with it because when I was a younger girl, my grandmother used to play Cinderella with me in the back garden. And for some reason, um, the vegetable, like the, the flower patch that she had in the back garden was all imaginary vegetables to me. Mm. And I used to pick them and put them in a pot of water and make vegetable soup because apparently that's what Cinderella did. Mm-hmm. And the swing set that we had in the backyard was actually like the magic coach okay i'm here for it it literally made no sense to anyone but i was into it and she was really into it and that's why she was the best grandma ever um anyways i digress (laughs) just a little look into my childhood there guys (laughs) um so we all know cinderella as kind of like the 1950s disney version right so just to recap on that real quick so cinderella depicts a beautiful young woman who's been enslaved by her evil stepmother. Her father has died. She's got two evil evil stepsisters. Um, They treat her like a slave. She is basically reduced to ruin. They don't feed her very much. She doesn't get any clothes. She doesn't have a chance to have an education. And then there's a royal ball because the prince needs to find a wife. And everyone's going to the party except her. Mm -hmm. Magical fairy mother. Godmother. Like godmother. Yeah, fairy mother, godmother, whatever. Fairy godmother. Mm-hmm. There we go. Got there eventually. Mm-hmm. Um, shows up right at the last minute, makes her a beautiful gown, gives her a beautiful coat. She goes off to the ball. She dances with the prince. They fall madly in love. But at midnight, her luck runs out. She turns back to a pauper. Mm-hmm. Her coach becomes a pumpkin. Um, her horse become mice. And she's left basically where she started at the beginning of the night. However, she does leave behind one glass slipper, and this is all the prince has to identify her with. Um, like, I'm pretty sure we're all familiar with the story, yeah. so I won't get too much into it, but that's kind of the very pretty, idyllic uh, Disney version, and, you know, brides, even to this day, want to look like Cinderella on their wedding day. So mm-hmm. it's it's a very sold and very repeated, rinsed and repeated romance story, mm-hmm. and this was kind of like the original one of those. But, again darker origins Mm. in bastille's story titled the cat cinderella cinderella's father was indeed a widower who was remarried but what the modern adaptations don't tell us is that cinderella in fact snaps her stepmother's neck with the lid of a dressing trunk amazing (laughs) get it sure um in this version of the story her governess told her to okay 
but she's still a murderer. Cinderella's governess then remarries Cinderella's father, widowed for a second time, and then she banishes Cinderella to the kitchen. So the governess tells Cinderella to kill her stepmother. She does it, and then she basically marries her father and Mm. sends her to the kitchen. Bastille Cinderella is indeed granted a wish and attends a grand feast dressed as royalty, so that's the same. Um, She does lose a slipper, although it's fur, not glass. So that that's different. And she is indeed pursued by a dashing king. So in his version, it's a king, not a prince. Mm -hmm. Um, And in Bastille's version, she lost the slipper that fits Cinderella's foot and the murderer gets her happily ever after. In earlier versions, like the one that was found in Scotland, Cinderella's stepmother is a little bit more determined. She cuts off pieces of her daughter's feet. So the evil stepsisters, she cuts off pieces of their feet so that they will fit in the lost slipper. In the Grimm Brothers version in the 18th century, the adaptation, the sisters mutilate their own feet and they fit in the shoe. And as they're being taken off to the palace by the prince, birds peck out their eyes. Mm-hmm. Number seven. All right, I'll talk a little bit about The Little Mermaid. Did you used to pretend that you were the Little Mermaid when you swam in swimming pools? Yeah, occasionally. And what's that Australian show? H two O. You know the girls that when they touch water, they turn Whoa. into. <laughs> Talk about a blast from the past. I know. So yeah, I always thought of those. Um, the story of the Little Mermaid's a bit of a lengthy story, um, but I think it's important to kind of touch on a few points. So um, if we remember. So the original story is the story that I'll kind of go through now. But ultimately, we've got the uh, sea king who ruled the sea world. And in the deepest part was the sea castle. Um, So the walls were made of blue coral and shells. um, And they opened and closed as water went by. Do you want to know how many times that I went swimming at the beach as a child? Looking for the sea world? Looking for that castle? (laughs) Like, the number of Saturday afternoons wasted. <laughs> Just swimming around and looking. Uh, so the Sea King had four daughters, each born a year apart. Um, the youngest of the four, um, and they were princesses, was the Little Mermaid. She spent most of her time exploring ships, looking at things that had fallen and sunk in the water. She had the beautiful voice, would sing. Um, there was the rule that once they turned 15, they could swim to the surface. Uh, So she turned 15, goes to the surface, sees a ship with music playing. On the ship, there's a stack of sailors. They were laughing, having a good time. A young man steps onto the deck, um, has a look, sees this beautiful princess mermaid in the water. All of a sudden, a storm hits. Um, The boat starts to uh, sink underneath and the prince is flung overboard and fell into the sea, sinking. Uh, Little Mermaid knows humans, they actually can't live underwater, so she rescues him, pulls him to land. She thinks he's dead and starts to sing a song, but he starts moving. Did we forget about CPR? (laughs) It's about singing. The the beautiful voice will bring him to life. Right. I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm sure in surgeries all over the world, (laughs) they're they're like, we don't need oxygen. Let's sing. (laughs) We need opera. (laughs) He starts to wake up. 
she obviously leaves because it's time to go. Also doesn't want to be seen because she's a mermaid. She doesn't have legs. She's got fins. Um, So off she goes. She swims away. She goes home, tells everybody about the events. But she needs to walk on land to actually be with the man. Her grandmother says, look, it's not possible. You're a fish. He's a man. World's apart. Little Mermaid knows of the sea witch and knows where she lives in the far corner of the sea. So she heads over, talks to the witch about, you know, this is my story. I need to walk. I need to get rid of these uh, fin things and I need to have legs. Sea witch gives her a potion to drink for the price of handing over her voice. So she for does the bargain that. basement price of your voice. Hands you can have legs. a pair of legs. <laughs> no guarantee as to whether they'll be veiny or tanned, but you can have legs. <laughs> Takes the voice, contains the voice. Little Mermaid drinks the potion. She faints, somehow ends up on the land. Then the prince finds her on the island, tries to talk to her, but she has no voice. Goes back to the castle, uh, finds her clothes to wear. They spend time together looking at artwork. She's obviously falling in love with him. He's a little bit iffy because he's thinking about this girl that sang and saved his life. So that's what he's focused on. Then the king says to the prince, you need to find a wife. And you need to marry her because that's the deal and it's time to get married. The sea witch puts Little Mermaid's voice into a woman. That woman comes forward as a suitor. He recognizes, the prince recognizes the voice and he's like, oh, this is the woman. We need to get married. But as we know, that's not the woman. It's the Little Mermaid. Mm-hmm. The sea king comes in, helps defeat the sea witch. The sea king comes in, defeats the sea witch, hands over the scepter, Sea Witch becomes a monster, blah, 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 blah. Fight ensues. Little Mermaid gets her voice back. Sea Witch is dead. Happy days. Her prince fall in love. The end. Mm-hmm. Okay, so a little bit about the context behind it, though, right? Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful story. I'm sure we're all familiar with it. So it's said that the Little Mermaid was absolutely obsessed with the human world. Yeah. Stalker obsessed. Yeah. In the original version, Mm -hmm. to get her voice back, she needs to stab the prince, allowing his blood to drip to the floor. Oh. The original version is, do you want to be with him Mm -hmm. or do you want your voice back? Mm. And she takes a voice. So she ends up killing the love of her life, allegedly. In this particular fairy tale, there's a lot of religious subtext. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the thing that people overlook with this is the fact that there's sea foam that engulfs people and they die. Mm-hmm. There's, in the original version, a lot of stabbing and death. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also, in the original, where oysters get attached to people and injure and kill them. I mean, oysters are nasty, so I totally believe that. And they said in the original version that the prince is actually a massive douchebag. <laughs> Focused on material items only. So the prince is a chad. <laughs> the prince is the worst. The, the little... prince is a chad. Oysters are bad. She's wanting her voice she, back. She's stalker crazy. She's stalker crazy. He's a douchebag. He's a douchebag. Sea witch is controlling and narcissistic. And shit everywhere killing people. Got so it. So the original version has people dying left and right. And obviously they had to remove all of that. There's lots of themes of suicide and death. And that's the undertone to the entire fairy tale. That's a pretty common theme though with, mm. with a lot of fairy tales. It's all, you know, 
morality based yeah. like do the right thing or you're gonna die yeah. like be good to your parents or you're gonna die yeah like don't lie or you're gonna die pretty much don't eat too much you're gonna die when we were researching for this episode i actually found a theorist a conspiracy mm. theorist that actually believes that a lot of fairy tales were linked in many ways to the seven deadly sins mm-hmm. so like wrath yep. sloth envy yep can't remember the rest yeah yeah <laughs> But they, he thinks that every single fairy tale can Has be linked linkage. to one of those themes. Yeah, and there's a lot of that. In addition, in The Little Mermaid, the original story had that mermaids didn't have souls. And so what she was actually seeking with those legs was a soul to become human because she's inhumane in the water. No soul, apparently. Oh, that's so dark. It's dark. In the very original version... The prince doesn't fall for the Little Mermaid and marry her. He actually falls and marries the girl with her voice. Yeah, makes sense. It's always it's always the friend. The guy always falls for the friend. And then the other subtext is that the Little Mermaid, in one of the adaptations, she doesn't kill the prince. But it's said that in that particular version where she doesn't kill him, she actually goes back into the sea, which is her world of purgatory for the rest of her life. Damn. So there's so many adaptations of this. I feel so, so I feel so sad now. There's so many different and you know, the original I think was the most extreme where she's you know, we've got people dying, suicide, there's murder. We've got in one version the prince gets stabbed. We've got another one where she just disappears into a world of, you know, complete depression. We've got the prince marrying someone else. So this story has been through it. Wow. Well, if you're going to write a story, make a splash. Number six. I'm confident to say that before 2013, not many people knew anything about the Snow Queen. And I'm not talking about Snow White. Do you know who I'm talking about? Yeah. Who? Old school Snow Queen. Yeah. Like old school. Old Old school. school. Yeah. But all of the kiddies out there today would know it as Frozen. Elsa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Elsa the Snow Queen. But the... 2013 Disney movie hit, like blockbuster hit, mm. that drove every parent within an inch of their sanity with that song Let It Go. Oh, God. The 2013 Disney movie hit bears little resemblance to the Hans Christian Andersen 1844 story, which is the Snow Queen. So, in the Disney version, not that anyone alive has never seen it or doesn't know anything about it, but in that version. I haven't seen it. <laughs> really? Mm-mm. I'm so jealous of you. I haven't seen Shrek either. What is wrong with you? I don't do cartoons. I hate the voices. Shrek is funny. Meh. Shrek is funny. Meh. You make half the voices in Shrek. Meh. (laughs) Anyways, movie version. There's two sisters, Elsa and Anna. Elsa has a paranormal power to create ice and snow and Anna's endangered by her sister's powers basically elsa grows up to become a queen of the northern kingdom but things get complicated after anna accepts a marriage proposal 
of a secretly creepy kind of rapey prince hans mm-hmm. who's visiting from the south after some ice related plot twists all's well that ends well and elsa deports hans and anna finds true love with an ice seller oh isn't that lovely but the anderson story in contrast it's more like something you'd encounter in a nightmare in the hans christensen anderson story it actually has nothing to do with sisters whatsoever Mm -hmm. it's about a little boy and a little girl who their families are very close they grew up next to each other and they actually have a footbridge between their two houses and on this footbridge they create this beautiful rose garden these two kids create this beautiful rose garden and in the summer they spend their entire summers walking backwards and forwards to each other's houses and this happens for many many years they form a great friendship and they become like brother and sister the boy's name is Kay, and one day when he's out playing in the forest he gets a shard of glass in his eye now this shard of glass is not just any shard of glass it's actually from a shattered devil's mirror and the mirror shattered because the devil and his imps are playing in the forest one day and they carry this mirror which reflects sorrow and angst and pain in humanity so anyone who looks in this mirror they feel this overwhelming sense Mm. of dread and like all the awful things they think they think about themselves they see happening in front of them it's kind of like yeah like terrible yeah and they decide to take this powerful mirror up to the heavens to basically disgrace god and all of their angels okay so the devil is taking this mirror up towards the heaven and as he's doing it the closer he gets the more the angels are laughing and as they laugh it shatters the mirror the shards of glass fall down to the earth and this is where Kay gets some of that glass in his eye when this glass gets in his eye he becomes evil and he's aggressive he's mean towards you know this girl Gerda who he's grown up with his whole life he now no longer values his grandmother Mm. Kay is a bit of a prick and the winter comes Kay's grandmother the day before had told the story to Gerda and and Kay about the snow queen who only appears when the snow falls and Mm. she can be found wherever the snow falls hardest and you know she's there by these little snow bees now, the snow bees are not actually bees. It's just the imagery created in the story. She's referring to snowflakes. Mm-hmm. And she said when the snowflakes are big or when the bees are big, you know, the snow queen is close. The next day, Kay is standing by the window and he sees a swarm of snow bees. And then the bees disappear. She's beckoning to come, him to come outside. And he's freaked out because he doesn't feel safe. Mm. He sort of fobs it off. And the next day... He finds himself walking outside without any explanation. And outside is the Snow Queen waiting and she's got a carriage there. He's drawn outside and the carriage is being drawn by the Snow Queen herself. She transforms into an animal and she entices him to climb. Climb aboard the carriage. Come on. Come on down, Kay. And he's mesmerized. Mm -hmm. He has no choice but to get on this carriage. Okay. He rides off with her and he's never seen again. He okay. disappears completely. Bye, okay. Gerda comes outside the next day and she can't find her friend. She can't find Kay anywhere. Mm. She's gone to his house. He's not there. She's gone to the school. He's not there. So Gerda decides to set off on a quest to find her friend. Mm-hmm. A lot of really random weird stuff happens. Talking owls, talking snakes, talking porcupines. Mm. But she ends up being led to a river and she offers up one of her 
brand new ruby red slippers to the river to find out if her friend has drowned in the river. So she's offered her shoe to the river to say, do you have my friend? Mm. Because it's believed he drowned in the river. And she offers up her one of her slippers and the river's like, nah, don't have him. Mm. Going full gangster when the police come around. Nah, man. Yeah, nah. Yeah. Yeah, nah. New slipper, who dis? Just as that happens, she turns around and the Snow Queen is standing there. And the Snow Queen says, I've entrapped your beloved and he's basically going to die. Like I'm stealing his soul. Okay, as you do. And she decides to make a bargain with the Snow Queen. Okay, what's the deal? Mm, She's going to kill all of her siblings. Well, maybe she likes this guy more. And the Snow Queen says, mm, not really interested in your siblings, but I'll take you. Mm-hmm. After thinking about it for a little while, she's like, yeah, you can have me. I care about him that much. Oh, that's sweet. And she said, well, that's all and good, but he's evil because of that glass in his eyes. So you've got to remove the glass from his eye. And in doing so, that will actually make your death very painful. Mm-hmm. And she's like, well, I'm, I'm still sticking with my original plan. I still want you to to take take me instead. So she pulls the glass from his eye. She gets cut on her hand and she's immediately, immediately feeling pain and mm. angst and terrible. And she starts to die. But at this point, Kay is better and he sees her in agony, basically. Mm. And he decides that he doesn't want to live in a world where she's dead mm-hmm. and she's in agony and he kills himself. So they both die. And there's actually no reason as to why the Snow Queen wants these two. Mm. It's it's kind of a very disjointed story. But I think the one thing they did take in the Disney adaptation is that she could control the elements. Not sure where the sisters thing came in. But yeah, there is a palace in the woods. So that's about the same as the movie. Yeah. But the two are so dramatically yeah. different. But yeah, that's the Snow Queen. five sleeping beauty yay so beautiful even in the disney version though i find it a little creepy it is a little creepy prince just walks in on a sleeping chick and he's like she hot (laughs) and i land one on her yeah and then she wakes up true love's first kiss breaks the spell and it's all because you know the wicked witch or the sorceress enchantress whatever you want to call her is basically butthurt because she didn't get invited to her 16th birthday Mm. now the original story is not too dramatically different. Okay. The story begins much the same as the animated version. Upon birth, Princess Talia is cursed with the threat of a splinter when she is grown. So same mm-hmm. thing. Is pricked and falls into an eternal slumber. Heartbroken, her father lays her in a velvet chair and leaves the castle forever. So her dad's just broken and says, mm. bye. Here's where things get kind of screwy. So everyone knows that Sleeping Beauty was awoken by True Love's First Kiss. But the Bastille version, so the original version, tells that a king from a nearby kingdom happened upon the abandoned castle and Talia's lifeless body, and he's taken by her beauty. The king then rapes Talia. Oh, jeez. I know, that escalated quickly, huh? Really quickly. 
And he actually impregnates the slumbering princess. Oh, my God. In her slumber, Talia gives birth to twins, the sun and the moon. Oh, my God. Searching for breast milk, the babies suckle the splinter out of her finger and she actually wakes up. So the king returns to see Talia again and is delighted that his princess is awake and alive and he has two bouncing bundles of joy. It's only a matter of time before the queen discovers her husband's infidelities and orders his babies to be cooked and fed to him. Unbeknownst to the queen, the cook hides the children and serves goat instead. What a nice cook. When the queen attempts to throw Talia into a burning fire, the king intercepts and burns his wife alive. Talia marries the king and they live happily ever after as predator and wife. It was Charles Perrault who introduced Sleeping Beauty or Little Briar Rose and he replaced marrying the king with a dashing prince, of course, and the prince's mother took the role of the evil queen. So Mm -hmm. that's sort of how it was adapted. But either way you look at it, messed up rapey and incestuous almost and And cannibalism and cannibalism and no not incestuous necrophilia necrophilia that's what i'm thinking Uh, of like right up there with the likes of jeffrey Dahmer. well done sir well done number four then I just throw down a nursery rhyme. Oh, I thought you were just going to throw down and start busting out a rap. I'm I, so know, I know, I know, I <laughs> know. Watch me, I'm about to stick. <laughs> um, all right, so everybody knows this old man. This old man, he played one. He, he played knick-knack on my thumb with a knick-knack. Paddywhack, give a dog a bone. This, this old man came rolling home. All right, that perfect. One? So it goes, um, how many verses is there? There's ten, right? And everything rhymes beautifully. This old man is about teaching children how to count and correct pronunciation. It's the whole purpose of it. However... There is meaning behind this little nursery rhyme. Quite unpleasant. It's said that the old man is a pedophile. I so saw that come. Yeah, so the old man... And something about like little kids bouncing on his lap or something. Yeah, so he's a pervert, he's a pedophile. This particular nursery rhyme was created um, to inform residents of the the pervert and the pedophile... And it would be sung to children and children would then remember it and know to stay away from this particular man. So before Neighbourhood Watch, there was nursery rhymes. There was nursery rhymes protecting children um, all around our streets. But the the whole idea was parents would sing it to kids, kids would remember it, they'd see the old dude coming down the road and they'd bail. So that was the, the context behind it. But there's some other terms within it so it's said that the term paddywhack is a derogatory term for hitting an irish person and they talk about a paddy wagon and that's referring to irish police officers driving a van with drunken irish people in it (laughs) trust the drunken irish end up in a fairy (laughs) in a nursery rhyme (laughs) But I suppose the the key takeaway from this is the point where it says 
this old man is rolling home. That's the old man getting hammered, coming home. Rolling into bed? Well, trying to get children to roll into bed with. Oh, oh that's not where I wanted that to go. <laughs> there you go. That's this old man. Oh, and I need to take an old shower now. I feel gross. <laughs> Number three. Everyone knows Jack and Jill yes. went up the hill, you know, to fetch a pail of water. Yep. Jack came down, broke his crown. Jill came tumbling after. Yep. Now, are you guilty of changing the words that when you were younger to make it dirty? I can't remember. I'd have to Google it. It's because we are so pure of heart. We can't remember we can't the remember dirty it. iterations. Because <laughs> there was, wasn't there? And there I was. There 100% was. Yeah. I can't remember what it was, but I remember yeah. giggling at it hysterically when I was a very yeah. small child, thinking it was the funniest thing I've ever heard. Jack and Jill is actually got an origin story mm, during the French Revolution. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So... This is a common theory. It's never been confirmed. Mm. But many believe its origin is about Francis Louis V and his beloved wife, Marie Antoinette. Mm-hmm. I think it's Louis V, is it? I think so. Sixth, seventh, one of the Louis, mm. whoever was married to Marie Antoinette. So they were both found guilty of treason and subsequently beheaded. The whole reference to Jack falling down, breaking his crown, mm. that's them basically being beheaded. The only problem is, is that those events occurred nearly 30 years after Jack and Jill was first written. Mm-hmm. So some people say that that's what it was too, but they're like, mm, it was written 30 years later. So don't yeah. think so. It's up. more likely the possibility that it's an account of King Charles's attempt to reform tax on liquid measures. And when Parliament rejected his suggestion, he instead made sure the volume was reduced on half and quarter pints known as Jacks and Jills. Either way, death and taxes both suck. Yeah, pretty similar. Number two. Rockabye Baby. Rockabye Baby on the treetop. When the wind blows, the cradle will rock. When the bow breaks, the cradle will fall and down will come baby, cradle and all. So this nursery rhyme was first published in 1765. And it's said to talk about Native American mothers who placed their babies in cradles made from bark and hung them from tree branches. Okay. It was said that by doing this, it would give the mothers a break from their babies. Mm-hmm. So... If you think back to our last week's podcast, Mm -hmm. we've got the baby cage. Mm -hmm. We've got the baby cradle here. Mm -hmm. So we go, we hang our babies from the tree. But also, like if you've ever held a baby for more than 20 minutes, they're not exactly light. I don't hold babies. Why? Because they belong in cages. (laughs) (laughs) It was said that if the tree branch broke and the baby fell to the ground... It would die. Obviously. However, there's a theory that the rhyme is about a common ritual practiced in the 17th century. And if your baby fell and died, all over Red Rover, but if your baby fell and lived, it's a good baby. It's a strong, good baby. 
There were some people. <laughs> oh, your baby lived? That's a good baby. That's a good baby. Passes the test. So it was this test, right? Yeah. How strong is my baby? Fell dead all over. Fell alive. Wow. But the best would be if it fell, died, and then came back to life. Of course. That is the best of the three. <laughs> that's, the, that's the baby you want. That's the miracle baby. And it was essentially a case of, oh, well, when it fell to the ground and died. Like, it was just, it was just a thing. It was a ritual. It was practiced. One of three things is going to happen. Dead, alive, or dead then alive. If you ask me my preference, I will always go with not dead babies. <laughs> That's a personal preference of mine. It was apparently um, a strength thing. It was a test to see how strong your baby was and whether it was pure or whether it was just an evil baby and it died. And then they were like, Or it cool. could be simple physics as well. well. They'll be on to the next. We'll create another <laughs> one and let's give that a red, a red hot go. It, it could also be physics and aerodynamics <laughs> to blame instead of the strength of the infant child. one not just a saucy fergie song london bridge Mm -hmm. (laughs) is my one so london bridge is falling down now depending on whom you ask and we're not going to ask anyone who's been around in the 2000s what they think about london bridge is falling down because they'll make reference to the fergie song Mm -hmm. but according to who you ask there's different versions of what people think where this nursery rhyme originated Mm -hmm. It could make reference to a Viking attack in and around 1014, a Viking attack, child sacrifice, or the normal deterioration of an old bridge. So there's kind of the the two versions of it. But the most popular theory seems to be that first one. More specifically, the alleged destruction of the London Bridge at the hands of Olaf II of Norway sometime in the early 1000s. So Vikings literally tore down a bridge. Alleged because some historians say that this attack, this attack never took place, and they have nothing to uh, corroborate that the attack took place. It's a rumor, basically. Mm-hmm. The song's popularity around the world is often cited as further proof that it was the Vikings who created it, believing that they brought the tune to many of the places they traveled. But the idea is often debated because, again, there's no archaeological evidence to support the fact that there was an invasion there. But the theory goes that in order to keep London Bridge upright, its builders believe that it must be built on the foundation of human sacrifice. And those same humans, mostly children of course, would help watch over the bridge and maintain its sturdiness. Whether you think it's because Vikings destroyed the bridge in the early thousands, or you think the Vikings destroyed the bridge and it was rebuilt on the backs of sacrificed children, either way, not a great nursery rhyme. I feel sad now and like I need a cup of cocoa before you tell me that cocoa is actually, you know, the blood of spilled Indian children or something (laughs) along those lines. Like, Jesus, that was Mm. really dark. It was. (laughs) That's all the time we have to talk about the origins of fairy tales. But if you have a suggestion for what you want to list about, you can let us know. You can chirp us at Twitter 
at the big list podcast you can follow us on instagram at the big list podcast make fun of us on tiktok at the big list podcast or go old school and send us an email at biglistpod at gmail.com we are almost done with our origin series and next time we are talking about the origin of everyone's favorite games yay and this list is gonna be big, big. okay bye-bye bye 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 bye